Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. My name is John Wilson. My wife Connie and I have been at Cornerstone about two years. We moved here from St. Louis. Grandchildren got us here. Two little girls, they're this tall, but they're very powerful. They control me. (laughs) That's why I'm here. (laughs) Uh, I am a retired Assemblies of God pastor. I was a pastor for almost 40 years. Before that, taught in Bible school. My wife's a retired school teacher. And so I am very uh, honored and uh, privileged this morning to speak in the Foundation series. And the subject is the nature of Jesus Christ, his humanity and his deity. Please turn in your Bible to 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. I will read from the New American Standard, but please follow along in your Bible. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Or, if you have it on your phone, you probably have an NASB. So just click that, and we'll be together. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. There are mysteries in the Christian faith. A Christian Christian mystery is information unknown to the human experience except by divine revelation. Now there are Christian mysteries. Creation. From the Bible, we know that God created the world. But how did he do it? That's a mystery. The Trinity. From the Bible, we know there is a Trinity. But how can one person be divided into three persons? That's a mystery. The virgin birth. From the Bible, we know that Mary gave birth to a child, Jesus, but had never had relations with a man. That is a mystery. So, let's read about a number of the biblical mysteries. The scriptures are going to be on the screen. Possibly you've never focused on the word mystery before. I would like to ask everyone to please read aloud with me. Okay? 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Together, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Colossians chapter 1. That is... The mystery 
which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians chapter 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself. Romans chapter 16. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past. Ephesians chapter 1. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. 1 Timothy chapter 3. But holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. 1 Timothy 3. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. One of the great mysteries of the Christian faith is the incarnation. How could it be that a baby could be born who is both God and man. Or another way to put it, how could Jesus be both human and divine? That is only known by the revelation of God given to us in the Holy Scripture. The mysteries of the Christian faith are known and accepted by faith. They cannot be proven in a laboratory or in an empirical sense. Knowledge of the mysteries is not necessary for salvation. The only requirement for salvation is that you confess your sins and believe in Jesus to be your Savior. You need not know any of the mysteries. In fact, it's only after you are born again. God says to Nic- Jesus said to Nicodemus that then you can see the kingdom of God. And you begin then by faith to believe, accept, and understand some of these mysteries. Now, the supreme test of the Orthodox Christian faith is the belief in a Christian mystery, the deity and the humanity of Jesus in one person. Both natures are necessary to make a complete Savior. Neglect one of them, and you have heresy. First point, there are five names of Jesus in the New Testament. The first name is Jesus. Each one of these describes some aspect of our Savior, and you need all five of them to get a complete picture of Jesus. Mary, Jesus' mother, was told by the angel Gabriel that she would have a son and she should name him Jesus. I'll read from Luke chapter 1. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name from the Old Testament, Jehoshua, meaning to save. There were many men in the Old Testament named Jehoshua, but there are two famous ones. First, there's Joshua, who was the leader of the people of Israel after Moses died. He led them across the river and then to establish the land. And the second one was a Joshua, who was the son of Jehozedek, who was the high priest. The name means to save his people from their sins. So when Jesus was a boy growing up in Nazareth, Joseph comes home from the carpenter shop, and it's time for supper. What does Mary call her son? She says, Jesus, come in here, wash your hands, it's time to eat. (laughs) Jesus. And every time she said it, she was reminded that her son was going to be the savior of men. The name Jesus means savior. The second name given to Jesus in the New Testament is Christ. I read from Matthew chapter 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The name Christ means anointed one or Messiah. God the Father promised throughout all of the Old Testament, through all of the prophets, that there would come one sometime in the future who would have an anointing. That anointing meant three things. It was an appointment to an office. It was a special sacred relationship with God the Father. And it was a communication of the Spirit of God. This anointing was going to rest upon a person at some time in the future. So the name Jesus Christ tells us of his mission as the Messiah. So when Peter says, you are the Christ, he is saying that this man who is standing there in front of them, the leader of this small group of disciples, is the Messiah, the anointed one. The third name that is for Jesus in the Bible is Son of Man. I read from Matthew chapter 8. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now Jesus spoke that name (coughs) of himself. He said he was the Son of Man. Now, misunderstanding of that name has led to various histories down through the history of the church. These heresies have plagued the church because of a misunderstanding of the name Son of. The title Son of is a title of equivalence, meaning the same thing. In Bible times, a dad had two responsibilities towards his son. First, He had to teach his sons about God. And second, he had to teach his sons how to make a living. There were no schools. Everything was done at home. This was homeschooling on steroids. Everything was done by mom and dad. A dad was to tell his children about the miracle of the Passover. A dad was to tell his children about the miracle of the manna in the wilderness that the people ate. A dad 
was to tell his children about the miracle of the crossing of the Jordan River when God opened the water. He was to speak of the laws of God as he left his home every morning. There were no Sunday schools, there were no Bible schools, there were no videos, there were no books. Dad and mom were the teachers. Well, dad also had to teach his son a trade. How do you make a living? He did that by taking his son with him to work. So Jesus learned the carpentry trade by standing next to Joseph in the carpenter shop. We would call that an apprenticeship. Jesus was known in Nazareth as the son of Joseph the carpenter. So, when Jesus spoke in the synagogue in Nazareth, after his baptism, he took the scroll and he read from it. The people would not accept him because they said, why, that's Joseph. He's just a carpenter. Who is he? What does he think he is? The the name son of means the same as. Jesus was considered in their mind the same as Joseph. So when Jesus says he is the son of man, he is saying, I am a man. Jesus is human. Son of man means he's a man. The fourth name given to Jesus in the New Testament is Son of God. I'll quote from Matthew chapter 26. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Now that name got Jesus in a lot of trouble. When Jesus allowed the people to call him Son of God, and he didn't correct them, it was him saying, you can call me God. Son of is equivalent again. Now, in the Jewish mind, no man could even approach God, let alone think he is God, or allow people to call him God. Well, when Jesus allowed people to say, you are the son of God, that led to blasphemy. The Jewish leaders said he is blaspheming, and that then led to his execution. The title, Son of God, got Jesus in a lot of trouble. But the name Son of God means Jesus is God. The fifth name in the New Testament For Jesus is Lord. I'll quote from Matthew chapter 21. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This name is expressive of Jesus' exalted character. He is the highest supreme ruler, none higher than Jesus. So if you're going to describe Jesus... Human and divine, you have to have all five names. The first one, Jesus. He is the Savior. The second one, Christ. He is the Messiah. The third one, Son of Man. He is fully human. He had a body. He had a soul. He had a spirit. Fourth name, Son of God. Fully divine, the same as the Father, 
the same as the Holy Spirit. Fifth name, Lord, the supreme spiritual authority. Point number two, Jesus predates everything in the universe. I'll read from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I'll read from John chapter 8. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out from the temple. The Apostle John described Jesus as being in the beginning with God before there was ever any physical universe. We heard about Greg. He wants to talk about intelligent design. Before intelligent design was even there, Jesus was there. He was first. He has always been, and he always will be. So when Jesus' critics came to him, and they questioned him, accusing him of being demon-possessed, he said, Before Abraham was born, I was there. Now that made them so mad that they picked up stones and they started to throw at him because that was ultimate blasphemy. That's nonsense talk. What do you mean you're before Abraham was there? Well, Jesus has always been. Jesus will always be. He is God from the beginning. He has no beginning. He has no ending. He always existed. He always will exist. Jesus is human and divine. It's a mystery how that happens. But when you come to faith and you accept Jesus as your Savior, something happens in your spirit and you have understanding of these mysteries. Point number three. Heresy is a deliberate denial of revealed truth coupled with acceptance of error. Now please turn in your Bible or in your phone to 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 to 3. 2 Peter, chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 to 3. And this is from the New American Standard, so if you have your phone or iPad, hit that little tab. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. A pretty frightening announcement by the Apostle Peter. Now, we 21st century Christians, we live in the long, long shadow of the Christians in the first five centuries. We just accept things, but it wasn't always that way. Any person who is new to any situation does not know all of the history that created the situation. A person who is new to our church... They come in, they're welcome, they say, oh, this is a nice place, I I like this church, this is good. They have no idea what went into making this place. 
Who was the first pastor? Who gave the money so that this place could be purchased? Who did the work to remodel it and make it a church? Who, who, who did all this? Well, the person who just walked in has no idea. They have no idea what was done. Just as we, sitting here in the 21st century, we really don't know what those people in the first five centuries had to go through to make the church what it is today. So let's think about the big church, the big church with the big C, not just a congregation. What did those people go through to make the church what we have today? Those Christians fought some battles, and they endured hardship in order to build the church. The early church hammered out a doctrinal statement about Jesus Christ. It is the Nicene Creed. Now, many of you are holding a piece of paper that has the Nicene Creed written on it. Please get that out. This was adopted at the Council of Constantinople in 381 AD. Then it was reaffirmed at the Council of Chalcedon in 451 in the city of Nicaea. And one little interesting archaeological note, some archaeologists believe that they have uncovered the church at Nicaea. It's in modern-day Turkey. It might have been the very place where this document was written. This creed is agreed to by the church to combat heresies that arose about Jesus. When you compare it with the Apostles' Creed, it's much longer. It has a great big section about Jesus because of the heresies that were present at the time. There were six major heresies in the first five centuries of the Christian church that were teaching false things about Jesus. The Docetists were teaching that Jesus was not a human person. He was a ghost. You weren't looking at a person there. You're looking at just a, a ghost. They said he was divine, but he was a ghost. The Ebionites divine denied his divine nature, the virgin birth and his pre-existence. They said he was a person, but he wasn't God. The Arians affirmed Jesus' human nature, but they said he had a reduced divine nature. He was like a junior God. He wasn't like God the Father. He wasn't like the Holy Spirit. He was a little bit below them. The Apollarians taught that Jesus did not have a human nature or a human spirit. The Nestorians taught that Jesus was two persons. He wasn't really one, he was two. The Eutychians taught that Jesus had one mixed nature. He was neither human nor he was divine. So the church fathers wrote the Nicene Creed to counter all of these heresies, plus a lot of minor ones that were going on. Now we are not, the Assemblies of God, we are not a creedal church. We do not have the creeds in our statement of fundamental truths, nor do we recite or say them in our worship services. We believe everything that's in them, we just do not say them. Now possibly, you watched either or one of two funerals last year of two well-known persons in America. The one was President George H.W. Bush, and the other was Billy Graham. In the funeral for President George H.W. Bush, it was an Episcopalian church, 
And the pastor of that church led the congregation in saying the Apostles' Creed. If you watched the Billy Graham funeral, you saw that there was no creed spoken. Now, both were Christian funerals. Now, the name of our church is Cornerstone. It refers to Jesus, where he says of himself, he is the chief cornerstone. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation for the church. Now, that foundation must include both his humanity and his deity. If it omits one, it's going to be crooked and it's going to be weak. You have to have both in the foundation, both in the cornerstone to be a strong foundation. So, somebody out there is saying, so what? My eyes are glazing over. Let's uh, move on, huh? (laughs) Well, let me tell you this. All of those heresies from the first six centuries have new life today. We call them cults. (laughs) And there are people in Parker that are believing them. There are people around the world that are hearing them and believing them. The orthodox definition of a cult is a doctrine that denies the deity of Jesus. And there are a lot of people in Douglas County that do that. So all of this is as current as can be. The Apostle John stated that the test of Christian faith is belief that Jesus has come to earth. That's how we started. We read that in 1 John. This is the test for anyone. Do you believe that Jesus Christ came to earth from God? The Apostle Thomas called Jesus God after he saw the scars from the crucifixion. Jesus claimed to be God and that he was with the Father before creation, John 21. Jesus forgives sin, and only God can forgive sin, Mark chapter 2. Jesus is the creator and the maker of all things, Colossians chapter 1. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ predates the universe. Long before Carl Sagan ever said billions and billions of years ago, Jesus was there. To deny that Jesus is God come in the flesh is heresy. The incarnation, it's a theological mystery. We believe it is true, how it came about to be true. We cannot explain that. We cannot understand it, but we believe it, and it is true. The mystery is accepted by faith. By not believing the mystery, one side of Jesus is emphasized at the expense of the other side, and you end up with not Jesus. This truth must be revealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, a number of years ago, I was asked to speak to a group of Saudi airline employees who were in the U.S. for 90 days to practice their English and to acquaint themselves with the customs and the culture of America so they could better serve their customers on their planes. I was to speak on Christianity. Oh, I was so excited. I was going to get to talk to all of these Muslim people. I prayed. I prepared. I had all of the apologetic arguments. Water, it can exist in three modes. Steam, 
liquid ice, but it's still water. I use St. Patrick's argument when he evangelized Ireland. He held up a three-leaf clover. What is it? A clover. Pulled off a leaf. What is it? A clover. Pulled off a leaf. What is it? A clover. Ravi Zacharias couldn't have done it better. There I was. So I made my presentation. And at the end, I asked, are there any questions? And one man said, I understand you have three gods and one is a boy. I had no response. What could I say? That truth has to be revealed by the Holy Spirit. The truth of Jesus is a mystery which must be revealed by the Holy Spirit and believed on in faith. Now you're holding in your hand a copy of the Nicene Creed. Please stand. We're going to read this together. And when we do, we will be joining with Christians who have done this for 1,600 years. Millions and millions of Christians have affirmed this truth. If you don't have your own, share with somebody. Okay, I think Ed, Ed's got a couple left. Ed, can you make sure everybody has one? If you would go to an Orthodox church, uh, that would be Greek or Russian, uh, Armenian, they would say this for memory in their service. Um, we believe all of this. And as we state it, we are simply agreeing with people who have gone before us for 1,600 years. Please read aloud. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. He was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. We spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. Now, let's sing together a verse of Fairest Lord Jesus. This speaks about the nature of Jesus. Fairest Lord Jesus, Ruler of all nature, O Thou of God and man, the Son, Thee 
you have never asked Jesus to forgive your sins and to make him the Lord of your life, I'm inviting you to do so now. Admit you're a sinner in the need of forgiveness. When you do that, you will be born again. Then you can sing with all your heart, fairest Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Dear God, I have a pain in my heart. Please, take it away. Forgive all my sins. I want to be a follower of yours. Show me these mysteries. Thank you. Amen. One more time, fairest Lord Jesus. And if you prayed like that, you come and tell me, okay? Fairest Lord Jesus, Ruler of all nature, oh, thou of God and man, the Son, thee will I cherish, thee will I honor, thou my soul. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and forever. Amen. God bless you as you go in the strength and honor of the Lord. If you prayed this morning, please come up here. God bless you. Have a good week. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.